0: Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is a rare double treat, uh, sort of like the Doubleman Twins, only very different, I would say. (laughs) Uh, uh, With us today are Matt McCain and Michael Boychuk. They are the co-founders of a great, great shop out of one of my favorite cities, the great city of Seattle. The agency is Little Hands of Stone. And we are thrilled uh, to have you uh, gents with us today here uh, as we start to wrap Season four of Great Minds. Very, very exciting. It's sort of like a big, big finish. Not quite the the encore. Okay. No, not. We're getting there, though. We're down to the the last couple of songs. Sometimes
1: the the episode before the finale is the biggest one because it's really kind of setting things up. So this is great. Often, often true, Matt.
0: So, uh, Matt, you and Michael share something in that you both worked for a legendary shop so many extraordinary, talented people. I think Matt, you were there just a little bit longer than Michael was, but I'd love to start our conversation by talking about Wong Duty and what, a, what an incredible place that was, really uh, has stood the test of time as one of the legendary shops on par with Crispin Porter and some of the other really magical shops of a, cer- of a certain era. So I'd love to start Matt uh, talking about Wang Duty.
1: Yeah, I was there 15 years um, and, uh, you know, both my partner here, Chuk, who I call my boy Chuk Chuk, we considered Tracy Wong our shared ad dad. Like we were raised by Tracy in this industry and still to this day, like kind of like what would Tracy do here? And we quote his wisdom all the time he's just so strategic as a creative such a, a crafts person but also just incredibly respectful of everybody involved in the process and uh so it was a, a great obviously people stay there for a long time 15 years is multiple lifetimes in this business and to to stick around that long you have to be fulfilled and you have to feel respected by your bosses so uh Tracy and Pat Duty uh, provided both those things for us.
0: And Michael, dig in a little deeper. What was it that really made that place as special as it's regarded in contemporary history looking at the uh, the independent world of creativity?
2: Well, I mean it, it was the, it was the people. It was, there were a lot of great people that were drawn into uh uh what what tracy called the manson family. It was just a, a, a great group of people that loved that loved the work. But I mean really I don't think anyone would dispute the fact that it came from from Tracy and his personality and his the way that he saw creativity and and um it was just a lot of fun to work with him. He he had standards that were always higher than you it you felt like you could ever possibly reach uh reach to and and he would you know, he would have these little phrases um, that, that we still we say all the time. I mean, this weekend, we were working um, on an edit. And um, we were talking about what we wanted to do next. We got some feedback. And I told Matt, we needed to fuck it up. Sorry, I hope it's okay. If I curse. Uh, but uh, Absolutely. You can't talk about Tracy without without dropping a significant number of F bombs. But fuck it up was Tracy's way of saying, okay, you've got the edit now go like, put it in a blender and mess with it and try the back on the front and the front on the back and it's just, you know, kind of those philosophical approaches that Tracy had to the work that are honestly, I mean, we would not have been able to work together or definitely start an agency or, or have our own point of view of, of the work and the importance of strategy and craft and creative without both having that formative long-duty time together.
0: And, and Michael, let's stay with you for a second, but one of the things that you and Matt both mentioned was the quality and caliber of the people. Yeah. And I know at Little Hands of Stone, a big part of your mantra there is about the best people. Mm-hmm. Does that yes. go back to those roots? Sounds like it does.
2: Definitely. I mean, you need that. What's so great about this business is all the different people that you come into contact with that do different things really well. Um, and our philosophy is is that when we work on a project that we bring, bring in the right people for that project, if it's a project for cybersecurity, you know, with complexities that would melt your brain. We want the people that really can speak that language and understand that. If it's something that has to be funny, you want a great comedy writer that understands the form of comedy that you're going for. So it is, we are all about finding the best people for the project. Um, And you're right, that does come from Wong Duty and just that insane level of talent that was there in the heyday.
0: Absolutely fantastic. So Matt, let's let's talk about something a little different. I guess the, the shop now goes back four or five years uh, uh, to the founding with you and, and, and Michael. I don't know you well enough to call you Shook. Maybe by the That's, end, I'll feel. By that the end. Can. Let's set that as our goal. Uh, as a goal. Uh, but you uh, had a really terrific, terrific run as a freelancer, uh, which takes a different type of discipline and a different constitution. Uh, Talk about that transition of going for a place where 15 years every two weeks, uh, presumably there's a steady paycheck, uh, you're in a creative atmosphere, but don't have total control over your life, to working as a freelancer, where you're really your own boss, but you're sort of betting on yourself.
1: Yeah, I think the the initial reason I went freelance was... um... My kids, I have two kids and one of them was 12 and one of them was nine. And I was spending a lot of time working in the summers and I, was, I knew I was losing time with my kids. And I tell the story, my son was 12 where he was old enough to have uh, hair in his armpits, young enough to want to hold my hand when we watched TV together. And I was like, I need to spend more time with these kids. So I, took, I went freelance and I took three summers off just to prioritize family over everything. What you have to figure out very quickly when you become a freelancer is entrepreneurialism. Um, You know, when you're a company man, everyone else is worrying about that hard stuff, about the hustle, you know, you get assignments that fall on your lap, you do the best you can with them. But when you're a freelancer, you also, you have to become a business person straight away and learn how to sell yourself and have a product that people want to keep coming back for. So, um, so that happened very quickly and you have to get up to speed very quickly. You don't have kind of the agency pace of like, all right, I'm going to sit with a planner for a couple of weeks and figure out the brief. You show up, you got to start delivering on day one. I think the, one of the reasons I left freelance was because actually the lack of control that you have over the creativity where like, As a shop owner, you can see this thing from the first conversation with the client till the, till the day, you know, enters the world. And afterwards as a freelancer, you have none of that control. You throw some ideas over the fence a lot of times, and then um, someone else raises your baby or, or kills it. Um, So I got kind of tired of that.
0: Right, right, right. Well, as a hired gun, a gun for hire, if you will, you can take it just so far.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they only want you to take it so far. And and so much about the creative product is these little choices you make along the way. And as a freelancer, you're not often given the freedom to see these things through and make these tiny little nuanced choices that can make the difference between good and great work. And you have you just hand it off. They got what they need from you and you move on. And sometimes that's freeing as a freelancer because you don't get caught up in the drama, but it's also as a person who loves craft and the the, the process, it's uh, it kind of sucks.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you very very well said. So, Michael, you also spent some time at a great shop, and I guess geographically you've bounced around and been to some great great places and lived in some great great places. Uh, but I, I, Chicago is a favorite of mine, and in the sort of let's call it the uh, traditional category you worked at one of the great shops uh, leo burnett uh, reflect on that experience and relative to you know the shop out in seattle that we talked about earlier long duty very very different construct in in every way bound by creativity but two very different places
2: yeah and i and i wanted that experience i really wanted to get out and see what that was like in, in in small agency life, you learn how to be scrappy and how to get things done with a very small team. And you have kind of the opposite challenge at a huge agency where you know you need a oh, we need a storyboard done. Okay, go to the 18th floor. That's where all the storyboard artists are. You know, and, and it, you know, the 90 different producers and and a few thousand creatives. And it's really at that point about managing a wealth of resources and really making sure you find the talent within a a giant pool of people. Um, and there were very unique management challenges that, um, but I really loved the scale of it. The scale was so fun. It was, it was really, uh, really cool to feel the energy of, of Leo during those years. And I loved it and worked with Susan cradle, who's such a great creative director and, and, um, just an honor to, to learn from her. And, and you kind of take these things from each experience, you know, from Tracy Wong and Susan cradle, and you kind of put them together and, and, and make your own, make your own thing. And, and, you know, from there I went to work for Amazon, which is a whole other <laughs> crazy kind of twist uh, in my travels as well. But, um, but yeah, no, I love that kind of that, that mix of experiences and I've always gone for um different places and and different ways of seeing the work in hopes that it will blend into something that 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 is different and and unique. Yeah,
0: I'm glad you mentioned Susan. I'm I'm a huge fan of hers yeah. and she's Great. still still totally at the top of her game uh oh. now with, with uh with FCB. Just just terrific. We were on yeah. a we were very involved together. Uh do you know about the VCU Brand Center? In, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was on the board years ago. Susan was on the board and it was a really terrific group of people like bob greenberg and john kamen and so many other like real you know it was when rick boyko was running the school and you know rick was just super respected and and put an incredible and we would only meet once a year but everybody came to the meetings because it was once a year and uh really just an incredible farm system for talent so I, I, I want to go back and I want to talk about what you did starting Am- Amazon's in-house shop. But let's ask both of you to talk a little about your uh, now hometown, I guess, uh, Matt, for you, certainly the area forever. But talk about Seattle. And, and Matt, I, I, I've spent a lot of time there. You might remember an event, the Goodwill Games, an old sporting event. It was in Seattle in 1990 and i I had written the bid. My early career was in sport, and I had written the bid that brought the ninety eight Goodwill games to New York. And there were a couple members of the selection committee from Seattle. and uh, back with that that was a time when you would see people in person. <laughs> and I remember getting on a plane. I don't remember what I flew, but i'm and I'm sure I was in the back of the plane in a middle seat. But I remember I went to see two of the committee members who ran the Seattle games just to talk to them and, you know too subtly you know tell them that we were serious He couldn't really lobby for votes per se but uh but I love the city I fell in love with it then that must have been you know literally almost geez 32 33 years ago talk about the growth of Seattle and what makes it such a special place and Matt let's start with you
1: you know I've always just you know it's kind of a weird city it's a, you know when you get up into the kind of the northwest Things get a little weird in a, in a wonderful way. Like people are pretty eccentric and, um, you know, we can't rely on our looks up here. So we have to be interesting. <laughs> you know, I lived in L.A. for a while. It's like the further north you get, people get a little homelier. I include myself in that. So you have to be interesting. Um, so I think like people are interesting. And I think that uh, what's changed is all the bigger companies that have moved into town, the Amazons uh you know microsoft's gotten really big which is um you know put a lot more money into the town and uh so i think like there's dna in the weirdness and now we have an infusion and in, of capital um and i think it's the trick is to uh you know spend that money without losing the weirdness cuz i think that that's where the creative culture comes from up here that 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 led the you know the music scene um what used to be a thriving advertising scene in seattle it's not so much anymore it's kind of fizzled a little bit if i can be honest
0: no absolutely michael your thoughts
2: oh i mean seattle's a grip first of all it's just a great place to live i mean there's just you know i was out on the peninsula biking this weekend it's just you can just explore in in every direction and find wonderful things and and that's great but you know in terms of business i mean there, there's a legacy, there's something in the water because there are these companies like Boeing and and Microsoft and Starbucks and Costco mm-hmm. and Amazon that are all uh category busting companies that 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 change the game. But none of those companies are really, forgive me, advertising companies that really mm-hmm. have it deep in their DNA. So there's there's you know, tremendous opportunity, but not necessarily a lot of. Uh, big agencies, um, which is, which is interesting. Um, but, but there, Seattle is a very creative city. We, our office is in Fremont, which is kind of the, the East London of Seattle, It's a little gritty and, and, uh, and weird, which we love. And, um, but we, you know, our our aspiration is is to be a national agency that happens to be in Seattle, um, and and you know we want to we want to break that. Small towns have done that, you know, Minneapolis or even San Francisco. At one point, you know, you see them break out of. That's our that's our aspiration.
0: Absolutely, and and well beyond the agency world, which uh, you referenced, I think you hit on the bigger point, which is that history of creativity and innovation and that Seattle in terms of impact yeah. pun- punches way above its weight.
2: Way above. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's incredible what it's, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, you can, can't can throw a rock without hitting a company that's really changing an in industry. And, and, um, and that's, that's amazing. And I, I, there's just something that's never quite connected into, as Matt said, there's a, there's a legacy of great agencies and great creativity in Seattle, but um, it just seems like it's, it feels to us like it's time that that a, that a Seattle agency breaks out. That's great.
0: All right, we're going to get to the little hands of stone story, but before we get there, let's just talk about your tenure founding an in-house shop at Amazon because that's a that's a pretty big remit.
2: It is. I mean, it was it was a funny time. I was um, I, w- I was working in Chicago and we I was uh, leading the Sprint account. We'd lost the account, so I was trying to find a home. Uh, at, at Leo and and finding uh, you know those ECD jobs at a big agency are are tough. That is a that is a a, a brutal game of uh, of musical chairs, um, and um, and I started talking to Amazon and um, at one point had a choice between going to work at another big agency in Chicago, easy move, or moving to Seattle. And uh, and I remember uh, uh, there was a the cover of the Economist was a picture of, uh, an astronaut delivering an Amazon box on the moon. And I thought that is a sign that I need to take this job. Um, and, um, I was just really curious about what it would be like to work internally. I started the day that Alexa launched just randomly, uh, was, you know, brought into a room on my first day and they said, Hey, here's this thing. It it talks to you. And I thought it was the dumbest thing ever, (laughs) but I was very wrong. Um, and, um, but it was, you know, I came into a very chaotic situation where there was a kind of an agency and some people that sort of did stuff that was kind of agency-like, but it hadn't really been built into an agency yet and, um, and was given the opportunity to kind of help put that team together. A lot of people before me did hard work to make that happen. And other people that came after me did a great job of, of, of even taking it to the next level. Um, but it was a wild experience to be internal there then building a team, because I thought I was going to come in and just roll in with this boutique experience and giant agency experience. And it was all going to, you know, mysteriously come together. And I quickly realized that it was about absolutely flipping the way I thought about advertising, just upside down and kind of starting at zero to make that work at all. And by the time I left, I mean, I'm very proud of the fact that, um, you know, working with Lucky Generals, we you know, had a number one and a number two Super Bowl spot uh, concurrently um, into my last year, which was a huge, huge team effort. But uh, but was very proud of of the work that the team did to make that happen.
0: And a timely reference. And you also launched Prime Day, which uh, went on to uh, I think do do pretty well. Yeah, it did. It did.
2: Yeah, it did. It was. Yeah, that was a crazy experience getting every almost every country, you know, that Amazon is in to agree to an advertising campaign um, was a wild experience that that people, you know, were under tremendous pressure um, to make happen. And and uh, it was an awesome experience. Very, you know, crazy and chaotic and and uh, and fun at all at the same time. Absolutely fantastic.
0: So, Matt, give us the uh, Little Hands of Stone origin story. We're just about five years, uh, mm-hmm. but I'd love to talk about how you two connected. I'm guessing uh, that it dates back considerably more than five years. And uh, I'd love to hear the origin
1: story. Yeah, I think. Um, so Chuk and I were art director writer partners at Wong Duty and L.A., Oh, she's kind of around the year 2000. So we met each other then. And then our career paths kind of split off. And, you know, he we went to the big cities and um, I stuck with Wong Duty. And then, you know, it was coming to, there was kind of we a coming together point where I was, you know, uh, coming to the end of where I thought freelancing was fun, where I talked about my frustrations with not being able to see things through. So I was kind of wanting to do something different. And then he was four years into Amazon, and uh, which is a long time at Amazon. It's a it's a, <laughs> it's not an easy place to work, especially when you're kind of uh, high up there. So we're just like, you know what? We're not getting any younger. If we're gonna do this, we're gonna make something of our own. And uh, now's the time. And uh, we just love working together. Uh, we love spending time together. We are like a, a married couple, platonically, <laughs> uh, but uh, so so we decided like let's do it. So and uh, the name of Little Hands of Stone. I don't know if, if I could go into that. Um, well, I, I think I know in my head. I'm going back okay. to uh, Roberto Duran, but but you yeah. tell you tell me. Well. Roberto Durant, and then there was Michael Carbajal. So, Roberto Durant was hands of stone. Michael Carbajal was kind of the 108-pound version of Roberto Durant. So, um, Michael Carbajal was little hands of stone, and he was a boxer in the late 80s and early 90s, and uh, just incredibly fast, super efficient, hit really hard. So, um, had a great flat-top mullet. And we just love the idea of kind of being efficient and effective, being more important than how big you are. So so we, we grabbed, his, grabbed that name. Uh, I, I love that. I'm an old boxing aficionado. Mm-hmm. I, me- I remember uh, yeah. Little
0: Hands of Stone, Michael Carbajal yeah. as well. One of my uh, best friends was still really close, managed a number of championship fighters. He was oh, wow. very involved with the whole class of 84 Olympians, which was Evander Holyfield and Perna Whitaker and Mark Breland. And then he managed a couple champions junior jones uh who was a champion prince charles williams who was a light heavyweight champion uh, and uh yeah. uh and i love the sport so as soon as i i knew there was a reference somewhere in there
1: yeah to yeah. uh to the squared circle as they call it yes yeah, exactly. You know way more about boxing than we do obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm a very good digressor so
0: Michael you you said something before that uh, I loved and that's we have national ambition Mm -hmm. we are not looking to have an impact in Seattle or Tacoma uh, Mm -hmm. the Pacific Northwest Mm -hmm. talk about that national ambition and give us sort of a read on where we are I want to get to AI and you know Mm -hmm. how you see that as a game changer but let's talk about kind of the vision and where we are in accomplishing that vision
2: yeah, uh, great question. Uh, well, it's been interesting. I mean, when we started five years ago, we were lucky enough to immediately um, work on AWS and a lot of different Amazon um, projects, thanks to um, some great relationships that we both had with with people internally. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, we've God, it feels like we've had you know the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride right at us since since that time with with COVID and you know, lots of changes in the economy and the way that companies are working with agencies. And and in our first four years, we kept hearing about this client concentration problem that other people that have agency founders have had before, where you get too committed to one client and then you're vulnerable. Um, and then uh, last year, we our, our uh, Amazon work went down dramatically. Um, and, um, and in the middle of that, we were working on our, on our strategy and really thinking about the future and where we want to go. And it was at that point where we really laid out that we want to be, um, a a national agency and that we want to commit to, but we want to commit to being ourselves in doing so. We don't want to give up our culture or what we believe, um, in making that happen. So last year was a hard year as it was for a lot of agencies. And we're not shy about, about saying that um but we're we're really thankful in that we think we came out of it much stronger not revenue wise but definitely um thinking more strategically about the business and how we go out and hunt for business rather than just waiting for the um the the proverbial phone or i guess the email to to come in so you know now we're much more active in that. We are having meetings um, outside of Seattle and going to New York and 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 talking to people. And I'd say we're 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 scratching the possibility of that happening. Um, and and we're further along that road. Um, we're not there yet, but you know that's the nature of of uh, ambitious goals. Is uh, that's
0: uh, and that's bu- that's building a business. Yeah. So Matt, talk about that intersection of research and strategy uh Mm -hmm. on one side of the house if you will and creative and production on the other because it sounds like everything is really quite grounded in terms of uh, a thoughtful approach
1: yeah you know Being at, like being raised at Wong Duty, you were all creatives were strategists. It was just part of the process. You had to bring insight to it. It was not about being silly for silly sake or just being weird for weird sake. Everything had to be rooted in human truth, and, uh, and that's the really the only to persuade people. You have to know where they're at. you Got to meet them where they're at. So that's just how we were raised uh, creatively. Um, And then I think even Chuk's time at Amazon, it's like being on the the client side of things, results are very, the need to uh, accomplish goals is very real and very not bullshit. Like there are business goals, there are quarterly metrics that you have to hit that, that we've taken from his experience. And in order to accomplish those things, again, You it has to be rooted in insight. It has to be rooted in in, in uh, customer behavior. It has to be rooted in what's going on in culture. So um, we do not pick up our pencils until we have a, a, a really good understanding of, of mm-hmm. who we're talking to and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, Michael, talk about how you sort of divide and conquer, drawing on your areas of expertise and that of your team you know, they're very different arenas, strategy versus
2: creative. Oh, uh, in terms, in terms of how we divide up creativity or. Yeah. Or and just
0: in terms of, sense. you know, how you, you yeah. know, those are different skill sets.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, I mean, Matt is, is very, uh, very strategically minded. He doesn't write until he really understands the strategy and will poke at it until it's, you know, until it's right and not not just take a flying leap. And I think that's just Matt's the way that Matt thinks. I tend to be a little bit looser with things. Um, But I mean, yeah, I mean, I was in, you know, working at Amazon, kind of experiencing putting a campaign out in the world and then having it, you know, work or not work and seeing the impact on the price of the product. I mean, it's not just a slide in a case study video. It's actually something that, you know, leads to companies people, it impacts people's lives. It's important. You know, results actually matter. Um, and so I it is very interesting that our background, I mean, Matt, you know, is very humble about it, was doing freelance work for the biggest agencies in Seattle and the biggest projects. He's very sought after. And he built a great network. And I worked internally and saw what that was like, you know, working um, you know, inside the walls of a company. And honestly, between those two experiences, we have built the agency because we are able to reach out into Matt's network and pull from the best of the best, you know, strategists and creatives. Um and and I have the experience at Amazon and working internally and can kind of get the way that that doc culture works and and thinking more like the client sometimes. So it's it's the kind of the peanut butter and the chocolate of of how we work together and I think what's what we think is unique about us um, and 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 what we can bring to clients. and But we're both rooted in, we both love craft. We really love making things. We didn't get into this or start the agency to get farther away from the work. We did it to get closer to clients and closer to that those little decisions that Matt talked about that make things really great. Because honestly, at the end of the day, we just want to have fun making stuff we love. I yeah. mean- yeah, we we have the word fun over the door on the way out, like you hit it on the way out, because it this what working with someone that you you truly love and respect, doing work that you that you that makes you feel good, this should be fun. And for us, that's the biggest indication when things have gone sideways. It suddenly doesn't feel fun, and that's when we know <laughs> we need to get back to something and course correct. Fantastic.
0: And somewhere along the line, um, AI rears its head you make a decision to embrace it. Talk about what that means for a shop that's grounded in strategy and creative because a lot of this stuff around AI, I know everybody cares about it and I know we certainly talk quite a bit about it on our advertising week stage, but it largely flies well over my head.
2: Well, I won't. I won't say. I wouldn't say that we've embraced it necessarily. I would say it's been it's been thrust upon us as it has with everyone, and we are really working hard to figure out how it fits into our business. It's it's very interesting because, um, you know, in some ways, in a lot of ways, really, AI runs directly against craft and and kind of the central premise of what we believe about creativity and what needs to happen. Because AI can be a shortcut, really. I mean, it's it's a way for getting complex things done really quickly. And in craft, it's about hard work. It's there's just it's just is that is the font good enough? Is it the right size? Is that the right person? Is, is, have you picked the right person? No, we need to keep going. And you know, whereas AI is meant to kind of spit out instantaneous kind of answers to, um, you know, to, to, to problems or to you know. But I I also I love the way that AI helps with the grind of being an art director. I mean, it is, it is crazy. I, I don't even want to start to add up how many years of my life I've spent lassoing objects and pasting them onto different layers. <laughs> Whereas now AI does it in a heartbeat. And I love that about what it can uh, help me with in my life. I don't love what I, what it does necessarily in terms of creativity. Um, I was, I was telling Matt uh, I was working this weekend and and I was looking at a really old photo and I wanted to sharpen it up and so I put it into Photoshop and I told AI to to sharpen the photo for me and it it made it into a pair of scissors. I got back a pair of scissors. So you know it's uh, it's very interesting um, and it and it has tremendous possibilities and and um, and one other thing uh, to me is just the way that it has the potential to democratize data for small agencies and and that part of it is is very exciting um but it's still hard for small agencies because you still need the bodies to go out and do the work and and to and 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 to handle the prompts and to, and to make sure it's all functioning properly so that's a very mixed bag for us i say matthew um, yes yeah,
0: sounds like it's a real wrestling match and you know you said is. something that i agree with which is you know ai and the craft you yeah. know uh to me are at odds yeah. They're not, they're not yes. compatible. And, yeah. and I, we had a great producer years ago who I met many, many years ago at Radio City Music Hall and Tony Salerno was our producer when we started advertising week 20 some odd years ago and worked with us for a number of years. And Tony had a great, uh, simple expression when we would ask him, can we do this faster? Can we do it better? Can we do it cheaper? Tony would say, okay, there were three things, the production triangle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fast, cheap, and good. Right.
2: Right. Yes. And he
0: says, you can have any two of those yeah. three, but you yeah. can't have all three.
2: Right. And That's the producer's and, favorite phrase, by the way. I think I, I, every great producer not, I've ever worked with has had that thing in their pocket. Not,
0: not new. So, uh, you know, AI right. probably can tell you it can do yep. fast, cheap, and good. But as it relates to craft and creativity, Matt, I don't know that that's
1: really true. No. I think that like you like wh- what I've kind of come to embrace is that it's ability to help with the busy work. That's how I look at it. And and if you can free yourself up from busy work to spend more time in the craft, like if you're just trying to make your job easier, it's a loss. If you're looking at making some of the stuff easier so you can make other parts of your job harder by pushing harder even harder into craft and letting that show, um, then that's okay. Because I really do think the audience appreciates effort being put into things. If we're if we're racing towards the fastest, cheapest way to do stuff, yeah, I think creativity is gonna lose. But if we if we hold on to what what human the w- little weird things that humans can add to creativity, that's the win. So if we can free up human brains. <laughs> to spend more time on those weird little nuances, um, and those hard choices, then I think it's being used. Well, if we, if we are, if young creative minds are chasing the fastest, easiest way to do things and that being the end product, uh, the future is not going to be great creatively.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So well said, talk about guys how the skill sets of the people that you're looking for are changing if they are you know are you looking now as a as a small boutique independent shop are you now looking for folks with engineering backgrounds for example or are the skill sets still sort of where they've always been kind
2: of depends on the project which is so which is what we've been loving is just finding people that have experiences that really make it uh uh, you know, just a better fit for bringing something to the work that that is interesting. I mean, we've been working on uh, uh, a project uh, in the in the aging space, and we worked with with creatives that were older that have parents that are going through this, and that's not something you could possibly possibly hope to to really kind of guess about. Um, it, it's better to have people that are really experiencing it, and and then we've been. Also working on a, a, a project, um, a PSA um, about teen suicide. We brought in younger creatives and they brought in a perspective and some ideas that we had not really thought about um, as, you know, so it's very interesting just to be able to tap into and draw from different people's experiences and and um, to find the best work. Fantastic.
0: And Matt, I imagine the experience now of being able to see things through versus, uh, our conversation earlier about the inherent dilemma of a freelancer. That's gotta be, that's gotta be very rewarding for you. I would think.
1: Oh God, it is like to be able to not just make those choices, but to build the relationships with the clients so that you can build the trust. So you can do better creative that scares them that, that like, as a freelancer, you rarely have access to the clients buying the work. And so you're relying on someone else to build that trust, but you know, great work cannot be done without building trust with the client. So now, um, even though most of our work is project based, we have kind of ongoing relationships with clients and that's, what's been super satisfying is to see these client relationships grow. It's like, okay, we've been through some shit. We tried some stuff. It worked. Okay. Now we're going to give ourselves permission to do something even more out there. Um, so you don't get that as a freelancer, uh, certainly. So I've, I've loved that part. It's just like the, the ability to do great work by just the, the trust that gets built that that makes that possible.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Fantastic guys. This is such a, 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 great conversation. I can't thank you enough for for doing it, uh, Michael. As as we as we wrap, you know, Seattle's such an interesting town in that it's dominated by some really big global players. Who you know, during your collective tenures in the business, going back to you know the early days and long duty in our conversation earlier, twenty some odd years ago, the rise of companies like Amazon and Microsoft really changed the landscape and the fabric of the city. It's changed the real estate profile. It's changed, you know, cost of housing. Talk about that, you know, New York is such a, a beast. Any one company moves in or out, you don't feel anything. In a In a place like Seattle, I would think Amazon or Microsoft, you know, sneezes, everybody else catches a cold. Yep. Talk about yep. that, you know, that dynamic of seattle which is very unique
2: it is i mean it it's a it's a it's a city that's that's very uh constrained by you know geographically by waterways and it's you you growth is is something that really impacts everyone because there are bridges everywhere and traffic gets bad and um you know i think honestly there's a lot to complain about but i i don't i don't believe i i think it's I think it's great because it's made the city a lot more diverse and to me that was the big problem that I had with Seattle was it was very white and now it's starting to feel like a more diverse city and there's a lot of really wonderful smart people that are really making the city a lot better so you know with those those growing pains are you know everyone complains about growth but I mean growth is something that 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 can really benefit the city if it's handled the right way and and I I'd love to see it so Um, you know, I mean, I worked at Amazon and I'm a big proponent of, of what they've done and, and, um, does, is some of the stuff that's impacted the city, uh, not feel so great. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my favorite restaurants close too, but, but, uh, but you know, in the long run, it's just part of the experience and of, of, uh, of being in a dynamic city that's growing and changing. And I love to see it.
0: Yeah. And a great quality of life, which doesn't oh, get the talked about, of life is doesn't awesome. get talked about, doesn't really get cold, cold.
2: No, that, it that, never really that, gets cold, cold. That temperate, no. not like Chicago temperate. cold. Yeah, not yeah. like not like ice falling off of buildings and killing people cold, like it did in Chicago. Oh my goodness! Which I which was fun to be in that weather too at times, but but no, it's very temperate here. Doesn't rain that much. It's it's a little bit. What can be harder to deal with is the lack of light during a good six months of the year it was really feels kind of dark <laughs> and that's that's the part i've time right, right. with. But. great
0: great well guys thanks so much for doing this matt michael a, a real thank pleasure you. i feel like i can call you shook now after our yes conversation and uh we did it, and, we did
1: it. We did it. Uh, yes. wishing
0: you guys every success loved having you All on right. great minds and thank every, you michael carbajal not a name i thought i would hear today I love
1: that. <laughs> that's great. it's great talking to you too thank uh, you, thank very you much.
2: for the great questions